0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a listener topic question episode for you. The questions that got sent in, I grouped together a couple of them that I thought would make a good episode. One was a, a video that I've been been tagged on and sent a few times now. So I thought it'd be a good time to talk about this topic. And it has to do with whether it is like dangerous or ill-advised to be doing training that is essentially between a walking effort and a sprinting effort based on what we see in like hunter-gatherer societies or specifically the Hadza tribe. So I dive into that a bit. Since I'm definitely biased when it comes to that middle ground between walking and sprinting, given that the sport I do is basically performed within between those. I wanted to also make sure that I was highlighting some of the potential uh, risks that come along with that sort of training, give you some ideas of where like the, the dosage is from just a health and wellness standpoint compared to like what I'm doing training for hundred mile races and also touch on some, uh, Some issues like overtraining and like ways you can maybe recognize that and catch up before it becomes a problem that takes the activity you're trying to do away from you or creates an environment which you no longer enjoy or want to do that activity. Uh, So those are the kind of overall topics and themes for this episode. Before we get into it, though, just a couple updates If you want to get some early release episodes and ad-free episodes, I do have a few episodes up on the show Patreon page right now. Included there is Dr. Taylor Sittler, where we dove into glucose response and monitoring devices like continuous glucose monitors. I tried to take a little bit of a different spin on this one versus the Kara interview I did uh, earlier so that it wasn't just a repeat with a different guest also is my interview with Vinny Crispino. Vinny has a Vinny has a fascinating story of essentially breaking his back um, while surfing and then uh rehabbing himself without surgery and he has come up with a uh, a company called the Pain Academy where he goes through like a lot of different things that you can do to help different aches and pains and manage that sort of stuff and get back to the activities that you enjoy. Vinny has been it was an awesome guest and I've been staying in touch with him afterwards too. And uh, it's fun to see his progress training for now a 50 miler after breaking his back nearly 10 years ago. Also on the Patreon page is an episode I did with Stuart Chutter. Stuart actually reached out to me after the episode I did on regenerative agriculture with uh, Evan and Jana, and he wanted to... Fill in some of the gaps that he thought would be interesting to touch on based on some of the episodes I've done in the past on regenerative agriculture. And Stuart was a very appealing guest to me because he's also an endurance athlete. He does marathons, he does obstacle course racing, he does ultra marathons, and he has his own regenerative farm up in Canada. He even did a marathon eating the training and the racing of America, eating only food that he grew on his own farm. So we talk a little bit about that as well as uh, just kind of how he got into to regenerative agriculture and where he thinks he sees that going and how uh, we should look at farming in general, maybe a little bit more on a spectrum than an all or nothing uh, conventional versus regenerative structure. So Those ones are all up there right now. If you want to access those before they become live on all podcast platforms, you can head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. From there, there will be links to the show Patreon page where you can check those out. Also, scheduling that are yet to be recorded, but will eventually be on the show Patreon page. And then eventually on all podcast platforms is an interview I'll be doing with Dr. Spencer and Carl Nadolski. Uh... Those two guys have a lot of uh, information I want to touch them on. I think one topic we'll hit on is maybe some things to be mindful of with devices like continuous glucose monitors and some of these tracking devices that only show us one picture because if you hyper-focus on one thing because you have more information about it versus other areas, you can potentially make corrective measures that help the one thing you're measuring but maybe have some detrimental effects on other things that you can't monitor as closely so uh, I'm going to be interested to hear what those guys have to say about that. Also coming up uh, is Boyd Myers. Boyd is a Air Force veteran, former bodybuilder. He gained a ton of weight and then lost 75 pounds through triathlon training. Uh, he is part of the Gold Star Initiative, which gives veterans the chance to team up and honor Gold Star families by carrying an American flag during a run portion select- selected Ironman and Ironman 70.3 events and presenting it to the local gold star family at the finish line. I want to hear what Boyd boys ju- I want to hear about Boyd's journey through all of that stuff. Uh, I'm really interested in these like big health reversal things because whether it's, whether it's weight loss or something else, just because I find it to maybe have some really interesting parallels with endurance training where like you kind of have this goal or subjective, but it might be quite a ways down the road. So you have to find ways to both stay motivated, stay the course, stay consistent and find ways to kind of do those things when you know that where you're trying to ultimately get is a ways down the road. So he'll be fun to talk to also coming on in a similar vein is Jennifer Lankinu. And she has a few things I'm interested in. She does a thing called urban hiking, which is, uh, Hiking in big cities, but for really long distances. She's putting up like 50 kilometer hikes and hiking quite fast too. And so that was kind of an interesting aspect. I want to learn more about that, hear about it, what makes it different from maybe what other people are doing for fitness. But really, what drove that originally was she had a big health turnaround. Uh, She was having seizures. She's now been seizure free for nearly six years, lost 160 pounds in the process of that, and has managed her epilepsy through diet. Uh, which I believe is a modified Atkins version, but we'll talk to her about what specifically that entails when she comes on the show. All right. So folks, if you want to get in touch with me and uh, check into any of my like coaching or consultation packages, sign up for my newsletter. You can just head over to Zachbitter.com. You can find access to all of that stuff. I am currently taking on new clients, both the one-on-one personalized stuff, consultations email collaborations, as well as my ready-made plans that can be accessed at any time immediately and range from 5K up to 100 miles and also include a Strength Athletes Guide to Endurance as well as a base building program. All those can be found at zachbitter.com. If you want to support the show outside of Patreon, you can do donations there without joining Patreon by going to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. You can support the show non monetarily. It goes a long way if you like, share, and subscribe the episodes you enjoy with your friends and family to help me grow the listener base. And also through the show sponsors, which this episode's show sponsors include Gooder and Inside Tracker. All episodes sponsor information to be found in the show notes with links and details and discounts that they offer HPO listeners as well as all of my show sponsors at zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Inside Tracker offers a wide range of blood tests. You can go into a lab or check out one of their home kits. Either way, you can take a look inside and see the areas you are thriving and spots to work on. The biggest question with this type of info is often, well, what do I do next with this information? You have the data, but what's the plan? Inside Tracker will give you suggestions and help you personalize their nutrition and lifestyle to optimize. Since people age at different speeds, some faster, some slower, this means the date that marks your birthday may not represent your body's actual biological age. That's why Inside Tracker developed Inner Age 2.0. This is a proprietary AI-driven platform that reveals how your body is aging and provides a personalized science-backed action plan to help you get younger from the inside out. At Inside Tracker, they believe that your best self isn't behind you, it's within you. By looking at the science of your health and longevity, you can discover the personalized path to living healthier and longer. So if you wanna continue doing the activities you love with the people you love for the rest of your life, Checking inside with Inside Tracker is an option for you. For a limited time, Human Performance Outliers listeners can get 20% off your entire Inside Tracker order, including Inner 2.0. Just visit InsideTracker.com forward slash HPO podcast. That's InsideTracker.com forward slash HPO podcast. That link is in the show notes as well as the show sponsor page at ZachBetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses for anyone. Gooder sunglasses are lightweight, comfortable, don't move when you move, all for only $25. No slip, no bounce, all polarized and all fun. All Gooders are 100% UV protective and 100% polarized. Whether you are running, cycling, hiking, or simply spending some time in the sun, Gooder will stay snug and comfy. Gooder is running free US shipping on all orders over $50. A thirty-day free return, one-year warranty, one hundred percent carbon neutral, and one percent for the planet. So go to gooder.com. That's g-o-o-d-r.com forward slash hpo to get fifteen percent off your entire order when you use the code hpo at checkout. Links for that will be in the show notes as well as at ZachBitter.com forward slash hpo sponsors. Let's get rolling here. The first part was this video that was sent to me and it deals with this idea of you shouldn't do jogging or running. You should be either walking or sprinting and that that area between those two activities are dangerous. So let's take a look at this video and see what it says. Hunter gatherer tribes like the Hadza don't run. They either walk or sprint. I don't run anymore i used to run ultras i don't do that i either walk or i sprint i do weightlifting exercises to strengthen my hip flexors and my hamstrings for sprinting i come down to the beach and i sprint okay so let's jump into this here the first thing that i noticed when watching this video is it takes a couple activities that i think are very beneficial walking in sprinting or like very low intensity work movement, and also very high intensity movement. These are two very important things that I think humans should look to try to include into their fitness and their lifestyle. And by highlighting these two things, this video is illustrating that or staking a claim that you know, when you recognize that these are probably things that should be done and that are going to have positive attributes to your health and fitness. Now, in order to maybe sensationalize the video a bit, there needs to be a target or a demon to go after. And in this case, it is the jogging or the zone two work where the assumption is made that in order to do the walking and the sprinting, you have to abstain from that middle area that zone two jogging type uh, effort level. So that is uh, basically what I would just call like a false equivalency. It's assuming that you can't do both. It's assuming that because those two things are good and they're different than the other thing, that the other thing can't also be good. And that false equivalency gives it a convenient way to kind of get a message across, in my opinion. Uh, even though it's not true. And we'll get into why it's not true. The other problem with it is it sort of makes like an appeal to nature by referencing the Hadza tribe and then going beyond that and saying the Hadza tribe and hunter gatherers. So it would be one thing to reference the Hadza tribe and say, hey, this group of uh, hunters and gatherers don't do any jogging or running. They just do walking and sprinting and lots of it. That's fine. I don't know if that's true or not. My guess is it's very possible the Hadza do a lot more walking and sprinting than they do what we would consider zone two work. But I also am quite certain that if the Hadza was hunting and they were in a position where a jog, a zone two jog, was going to benefit them in capturing the, the, the thing they're hunting, they would do it and they wouldn't think twice about it. So that could just be a product of the environment of where they're hunting and the tactics in that region may just be more conducive to those two activities that really tells us nothing about the health or lack thereof of moving in different ways or different manners. So that's also sort of, uh, you know, just like taking or cherry picking, I guess, one specific example since it does go on and say hunter and gatherers, we do need to kind of expand that now because now we're not just looking at the Hadza tribe. Now we're looking at hunter gatherers in general, which uh, we are uh, fortunate to have research and some theories done on a vast, a, a more, a more wide ranging groups of hunter gatherers outside of just the Hadza tribe. Uh, so let me read you some information we have on that. Uh, one is, The conventional theory is that our distinctive body form derives from an improved walking ability in early hominids, and that running was simply a byproduct of this early adaptation. Also, humans are considered unaccomplished runners when compared to mammals such as pronghorn antelopes, which can sprint at 40 miles an hour for several minutes. Humans' running ability is often underestimated. What's important is combining reasonable speed with exceptional endurance, Athletic humans can outrun horses and antelopes over extremely long distances. In parts of Africa, this technique is still used today by hunters to exhaust their prey. Walking cannot explain the changes in body form that distinguish humans from Australopithecus. Okay, so even there we have some evidence that just because possibly the Hadza tribe avoids that type of intensity doesn't necessarily mean that that's specific to all hunter-gatherer tribes. Uh, we know that this isn't the case, and we know that other hunter-gatherer tribes do partake in what we consider slow, easy running in order to uh, exhaust their prey and, and hunt, hunt that way. But we don't need any of that, because all of that is just kind of looking at groups that are more or less in a situation based on need. These hunter-gatherer tribes do this because in order to meet their most basic needs of food and water, These activities are required, and a lot of time is required to do that. So, we're sort of comparing apples and oranges here if we want to look at people living in a a first world country where we aren't spending countless hours, if not the entire day, gathering, cooking, hunting, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So, what we do have, though, is research that looks specifically at the health benefits of things like zone two or easy running. So some of these benefits included are physiological. The more zone two you do, the more insulin sensitive you become and the more insulin independent glucose uptake will occur. So by engaging in these activities, you can become more insulin sensitive and you also do more insulin independent glucose uptake. These are both positive things from a health standpoint. Uh, Also, it, it makes your mitochondrial more efficient for glucose disposal. So if you're interested in metabolic health, these are things that you want to try to actively improve. Uh, So with metabolic health, as you age, you also get less insulin sensitive and carbohydrate resistant. So pushing this, some of this zone two type of work can be an important aspect of metabolic health as we age. So if we remain sedentary as we age, our abilities to remain insulin sensitive and have more insulin independent glucose uptake diminishes over time. Training can stay this off or keep you where you're at versus having that, 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 that situation become detrimental to your metabolic health over time. Like I mentioned earlier, it is different than high intensity interval training. So to say like only do zone two, or to say only walk and sprint is a false equivalency uh, to say one or the other. They both are very beneficial for different reasons. There is no reason to believe you cannot include both into your lifestyle. And let's actually look at how little amount is actually required to recognize or to realize some of these health benefits that I just mentioned if you're deconditioned, meaning that you've been sedentary for a long period of time, maybe you've never really done structured workout routines and things like that. If you engage in 30 minutes, three times per week of relatively low exertion level, like what would be considered zone two intensity, uh, you're going to start to see like health benefits occur. So three times a week, 30 minutes. And if you're deconditioned, this could even end up being a brisk walk. Over time, you're going to make adaptations and then you're going to have to move a little bit quicker to stay in that intensity and continue to get benefits. So if we look at someone who isn't deconditioned, but has a base level of fitness, now we're looking at a good target for health benefits being about three to four hours per week is a pretty good target and uh the sessions being like 45 plus minutes each is usually kind of a good ballpark figure to aim for and that is going to give you a really good jump up on leveraging the benefits of it so it's not something crazy uh like in the video was referenced like formerly an ultra marathon runner obviously that's an extreme end of the spectrum you definitely do not need to be an ultra marathon runner in order to get the health benefits from zone two training it can be done at a much lower dosage. In fact, one other um, detriment possibly, and we're going to get into this in the next topic, is doing too much of it can be problematic and you do want to properly execute it and and come up with what your goals are. So I'm going to sum this one up with, there's no reason why you should feel obligated to have to run or jog. There are Many, many different ways to move your body and get this intensity. It can be something like circuit training in the gym, if you'd rather do that. Uh, It can be like sports that include a lot of zone two intensity in it uh, outside of running. So, I do usually recommend that people find things they're interested in and that they are going to stay consistent with because they remain interested and motivated to do it versus just doing it because they are being told to. So, if you're someone who really likes to jog at a zone two effort, and you get a lot of value out of that. Uh, you don't have to discontinue it because the Hadza tribe is going to walk and sprint more. Uh, let's get on to some of the other kind of topics or the cautionary side of this equation, which is overtraining. And I'm going to pair this a little bit with overtraining versus just maybe a little bit of regular fatigue that you're likely going to have if you're, say, trying to peak for a race versus just trying to stay in good shape or get those health benefits that I discussed with those, those dosage marks with the uh, deconditioned versus the uh, already somewhat conditioned individual. So overtraining is typically just something that occurs when you've done too much of the activity and you start seeing negative returns happen or negative outcomes happen from Uh, doing more work than you were previously. So oftentimes the path to overtraining is beneficial up to a certain point. And then you sort of overstretch the margin and you get hit this margin of diminishing returns and you start having negative things happen that can actually make you worse at the activity, even though you're doing more of it. Uh, Here's some signs that overtraining may be starting to occur. These signs can be like an overuse injury. So this is different from an acute injury. So like if you're out running and you trip and fall and you aggravate something from that fall, that's an acute injury. That's something that happened really abruptly. You can identify when and where it occurred versus say something like Achilles tendonitis where you're running and you just get a little too aggressive with the volume. And then over time, you start noticing that Achilles tendon on the back of your back of your lower leg starts to get sensitive and sore and tight. And over time, it gets maybe even too difficult to even engage in that activity anymore. That by design, since you're overusing that one area of the body would be an indication that you've engaged in some overtraining. Now, that one may be very specific to a certain area. It could be like the rest of your body didn't sense that as overtraining, the rest of your body was able to tolerate it. But for whatever reason, that one area wasn't up for that level of training and you got an injury because of it. And sometimes that can be a little unique as well, where it's not that area is problematic, but it could be something like you're just, uh, you're, because you're doing a little too much work, your calf muscles are getting tight. And since they're getting tight, you're sending a little more of the impact load from running into the tendon, which isn't prepared to take on that level of impact at the level that you're training. And then it starts to start to, to get angry at you after a while. Um, so that's one thing to look up for if you're getting overuse injuries or like a lot of little uh, issues popping up that seem to kind of like be hard to get away or they're, maybe they're very low level discomfort where you can sort of train through them, but they just don't seem to want to shake or don't want to go away. Those could be signs that you need to take a step back and that you're doing too much of some of this, uh, this jogging or zone two work if that's the activity that you're engaging in another one is sleep issues. So if you find that like you are having sleep patterns get disrupted, where you are maybe waking up for, you know, big chunks of the evening or having a hard time staying asleep and, uh, feeling like you're kind of tired, but also like, like not able to sleep and, and kind of a little more wired, that can be a sign that you are maybe overreaching a little bit in training. So if you notice your sleep patterns are getting disrupted, It may be worth taking a look at what you've been doing, if you've been changing anything in training. That can be other things too. So that might just be an opportunity to evaluate your entire stress system uh, in terms of what is going on. If there's other changes that could possibly be uh, indicative of that, and then those issues could arise. Uh, Another one to look out for is your resting heart rate and specifically a resting heart rate in the morning. So if you start to notice that rather than that number staying kind of neutral or dropping, which we sometimes see as people, or we often see as people get more fit, uh, is their resting heart rate will drop. Eventually it's going to plateau. But if you notice that you're continuing the activity that brought it down to its normal resting rate, and that starts to creep back up, And you have like multiple days in a row where your resting heart rates, maybe like eight, 10 beats per minute higher than what it was. Typically that can also be a sign that you're just not quite recovering from the previous stimulus. So when I talk about training, I talk about, I use a term called micro-stressing because you do have to push a little bit past what your body was adapted to in order to make improvements. But if you push too far past that, your body is simply not going to recover quick enough in order to engage with the next stimulus in a way that's going to be beneficial. And one sign of that where your body is struggling to maybe keep up with the recovery side of the training recovery equation is if your resting heart rate starts to kind of creep up uh, past, like well past what it would normally be. So, for example, if you're someone who has gotten quite fit and you see your resting heart rate is dropping down in, say, let's say the mid 40s, and then you doing a pretty big training block, and you notice a couple of days in a row now your resting heart rate sitting in the mid fifties. That's a pretty good sign that you might want to pull back, give yourself a little bit of extra rest and recovery for a few days. Maybe program what I like to call a deload week, where you're reducing training volume and intensity before kind of resuming that build, so that you are making sure that you recover from the work you're doing, and then getting better for it. So. The way I like to look at that is the training piece to the puzzle is only half of it. The second half is recovering from that training. And that's where you're actually going to get better. Another sign can be lack of motivation. So if you are out there on a training program and you're very excited to do it, things are going well. And then you start to notice that you're no longer excited to do it. You're feeling like you're obligated, you're forcing yourself to do it. And this isn't something that is just like, you know, a day here or there was consistent that can be a sign that like you are maybe getting a little bit behind on recovery and you're pushing the pedal a little too hard in training. And it's time to take a little bit of a step back, let things catch up before kind of returning to some, some of that training again, and just being a little more mindful of how much you're doing it, trying to make sure you are stressing your body just enough to make improvements, but not so much that you are no longer enjoying the activity Uh, which in my opinion is going to just make it unsustainable long-term. If you are doing a training program for let's say six months and then you lose motivation to do it and you're forcing yourself through that low motivation, that is going to eventually end. That won't be something you're able to continue to do for a long period of time or the rest of your life. So in order to make that sustainable and for you to be consistent over time, you're going to want to make sure that that motivation is there. So that's another thing to pay attention to in terms of signs of overtraining. Uh, some of the reasons I've talked about this a little bit, is, but I'll go in a little more detail here, is just doing too much too soon. So uh, if uh, you can look at this through a couple different angles, one could be like the volume that you're doing. So the amount of time you're spending doing the activity that you're trying to use to improve your fitness. If you increase that too too quickly, that can result in kind of overtraining. You might start noticing some of those symptoms I with, that I mentioned, like the resting heart rate being higher in the morning, that lack of motivation because it's just becoming overwhelmingly difficult to continue the uh, the, the amount of volume you're asking yourself because you're not really physically ready for it yet. You know, it may result in overuse injury because you're just pushing that your body to do that activity longer than it's able to really tolerate. It starts breaking down um, and not recovering in time. And uh and then sometimes that sleep issues can be something that would occur with that as well. The other part is just like speed work. So trying to add speed work into a training program uh is adding an additional training load. So now we're getting a little bit away from kind of the core message here of zone two work and getting into kind of that moderate, higher intensity side of things. But that is going to produce a larger training load in a shorter period of time. So let's say, for example, you're someone who runs for like six to seven hours per week, and you're just running at a nice, easy pace. You're in that zone 2 You're in that easy category. And then you decide it's time to add some speed work. And you add too much of it, and you keep that running volume, that six to seven hours uh, per week, that's going to be a larger training load than you did before. So you do want to be mindful that you are increasing your training load. And by doing that, you're going to have to be mindful of how your body's responding to it. And oftentimes, uh, starting out slowly with that can help make sure you're just micro stressing and not overreaching too far. Another thing you can do too, is you want to add some speed work, and lower the risk is also lower your volume so that you're not increasing your training load. You're just changing the goal stimulus. You're trying to improve your moderate and higher intensity uh, efforts. And because you're trying to improve those, you're just going to borrow a little bit of that training load from the amount of volume you had been doing historically. And sometimes what you can do is once you kind of had established some of that speed work, you can start adding some of that volume back. Kind of a general rule of thumb here is with volume increases, sticking to around 10, 15% increase uh, from one week to the next. I like to program in what I call a deload week every uh, approximately every fourth week as well, where you're reducing volume intensity for a week and just letting everything kind of catch up. I think when you're kind of following those two paths, you're going to be pretty safe from having, you know, the, the major issues of overtraining kind of flare up on you. Another um, thing just to pay attention to too is just stress in general. So we induce physical stress with exercise, but stress comes from all sorts of things. Stress can come from your work. It can come from family. It can come from just engagements with everything. If you're just taking on a lot more stress in your life, even though you haven't changed your workout stressors or your workout stimulus, like volume and intensity, you can still end up with overuse injuries because you're not recovering from your overall stress load in life. And then that can come back and get you. Um, I have a personal experience with this one. Actually, I, uh, um, I was training pretty consistently when I was a teacher and the thing I always had to look out for when I would do that was I'd have summer break where at about 12 weeks or so, where I had very little work obligations. So I had extra time to rest, extra time to recover, a lot lower stress from the work side of the equation. And I could put in a little higher of a training load stress. I could take on a little more stress with that side of my lifestyle. Now, when the school year started back up, I had to be careful where I was at in that training and how I balanced that out because returning to work, um, even though it could oftentimes be rewarding, is a whole other aspect that can maybe impact the amount of sleep you get, uh, the amount of energy you're putting out over the course of the day, both physically and mentally. And you have to account for those things as well. So if you have a big life stress change outside of your workout too, keep in mind that that can at times impact the way you go about your training schedule. And you may wanna pay attention to that and just watch out for some of those signs of overtraining if you are going to have those things happen to make sure you catch it before it becomes a problem that kind of removes you from being able to do that activity for an extended period of time. Um, There's also just like, You know, a little bit of confusion, and this is a fine line, but there is going to be some just regular tiredness from somebody who is training for, say, performance versus just training for health and fitness. If you're just training for health and fitness, you can kind of add like the minimum dosage of some of this stuff, like I mentioned earlier, from the deconditioned and the conditioned person in order to get those health benefits. And you likely won't experience like just some ebbs and flows of tiredness uh, related to the training stimulus the same way you will, if you're say peaking for a race and trying to like, see how fast you can cover a certain distance or how far you can go in a certain time and things like that. So when you are doing like a bigger training block or a focused training block, like I mentioned before, we are trying to kind of micro stress. We are trying to add a little bit of extra over time. So that your body does get stronger and more resilient, and better able to handle the activity you're preparing for, so you may notice just a little bit of soreness or tightness from time to time. Uh, usually, these type of things they will once you start warming up with a proper warm up, like easing into the run, not getting shot out of a cannon in the first step. Uh, these things will loosen up and feel fine once you get going, and that can just be a sign that you're, you know, you're putting in good work, and you have to be. Kind of diligent about your routine and able to kind of properly do workouts and things like that so that uh, you don't end up crossing the line and having it become overtraining or overuse injuries and things like that. But there's going to be some soreness and some tightness, especially after some of those bigger key sessions. So um, a lot of times when I'm working with clients and we notice they're a little tired, a little sore, we look at what's driving that. So if they're a little bit tired and sore on like an easier rest day because the day before we did, a pretty good dose of say short intervals or they're a little tired. So the day after their longest long run of the training block so far, that's to be expected to some degree. Uh, we just want to make sure when we notice those things, we're matching it with enough recovery so that that workout stimulus actually takes hold and they get better for it. Um, Uh, so like I said, you're going to be a little more sore than average after larger training sessions. It's not a bad idea to take a log or journal and record kind of how your body feels so that you can kind of start to see trends in terms of how you typically feel after a well-executed workout, the timeline it usually takes for you to bounce back and feel good and ready to do another one. These things are all going to draw like a personal blueprint for you in terms of how you can maybe structure the quality sessions versus kind of rest days, easy days, and things like that. Um, as I mentioned before too programming a deload week I think is just smart in general it doesn't have to be super static I usually start out with a deload week every fourth week in a training plan so if it's say a 16 week training plan I'm probably gonna have a I'm gonna in the scaffolding of that plan being built I'm gonna put a deload week on weeks four 8 12 are kind of like those goal uh weeks that I'm gonna hit um it, 16 would oftentimes be like race week so we'll already have been tapering into that and then Technically, that would be a deload week as well. It'll just maybe be a little bit more of an extended one, if they're say doing like a two-week taper or something like that. But those deload weeks, I think, are nice little like ways to just make sure you're not getting too too aggressive with uh, with uh, the stress in your system uh, physically and mentally to a degree too. I also sometimes find that if you're doing a longer training cycle, having those deload weeks gives you a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel where you know, okay, I need to work on getting through these three weeks. And then I get a little bit of a break versus thinking I've got 16 weeks of progressively more difficult stuff coming up. Cause then if you hit a bit of a kind of a a roadblock in the middle, it can be very hard to like, imagine that you're going to be able to continue at even a higher uh, output level in the future parts of the plan and get discouraging and then result in lack of consistency or just simply, uh, you know, giving up on the endeavor altogether. Uh, like I said, though, the deload week doesn't have to be three on, one off, like I mentioned. And oftentimes when I'm working with clients, we may start out with that as the kind of the pre-planned assumption. But if I have a client who we get to the end of, say, three weeks and they're feeling great and nothing's bothering them and we're seeing improvements, their resting heart rate is staying pretty stable in the mornings before workouts and things like that. Their workouts are improving. We're seeing their pace drop at a similar intensity or heart rate, and we might push Push a little further before we give them that break they need uh on the other side of that too sometimes it happens the other way where we get two weeks in and it's just clear after two weeks we've kind of hit that threshold of training load before we need a little bit of extra rest in order to let that sink in and then sometimes we'll move it earlier so you can let that deload week float you can also adjust it too it doesn't have to be a full week sometimes especially with those uh that second example we might just give them a couple easy days and then see if their body kind of bounces back and feels ready and do like maybe half a deload a week just to kind of get them the extra little bit of rest and recovery. So you do want to be kind of just paying attention to your general, uh, recovery and how you're feeling and let, let your body give you some of those indications versus blindly following something just because the, the plan says what it says. Uh, all right. That's what I got for this episode. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to touch on, feel free to send them my way. You can do that through a variety of different ways. You can shoot it over to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on one of my social media channels. Instagram is at Zach Bitter. Twitter is at ZBitter and Facebook is at bitter Endurance. My website is ZachBitter.com. You can reach out to me there as well. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors are Inside Tracker and Gooder Sunglasses. Right now you can get 20% off Inside Tracker's blood panels and their inner age 2.0 and 15% off Gooder Sunglasses with orders of $50 or more. Check those links out in the show notes or head over to zackbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors for details. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey, folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiova- cardiovascular fitness, or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.